Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Scott Katoon to the show. Scott is a Chicago-based media entrepreneur, investor, and the CEO of Technori. As CEO of Technori, Scott has played a role in shaping Chicago into one of the largest and most inclusive tech ecosystems in the world. Technori disrupts how startups are launched and funded by combining the power of equity crowdfunding with that of a passionate network of entrepreneurs, connected via highly curated events, podcasts, blogs, and the Technori Pitch. The company has helped hundreds of founders raise more than $1 billion in venture funding with more than 25 successful exits and over $20 billion in collective annual recurring revenue. As an operator, Scott has successfully built and sold two media companies. He's created the first ever radio show, enabling startups to fundraise directly from a live audience, resulting in more than $50 million invested via equity crowdfunding. Most recently, uh, when most people are worried about, you know, keeping on holding on to what they've got, Scott has become the CEO of a Chicago-based music media company by the name of Songfinch. Songfinch is a marketplace for music fans to buy songs written and performed by their favorite artists. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's great to have you on here. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. I apologize for the long intro. That's I think I got to work on that. <laughs> Get that done. Like two sentences. Yeah, you really got to stop doing things. You're right? too Do successful. Less. That's right. No, we like to have people on here that actually have accomplished things. It's an odd thing we do with this yeah. podcast. Well, I had, I had a show recently with a guy who literally was like one of the most accomplished people of all time. And he had like a one sentence bio. And he was like, I just write the stuff that I, I screwed up. It was a failure bio. Like, <laughs> I'm going to talk about failure. So I might as well just tell you the stuff I screwed up. And let's get over with it. It's was like, I like this. I like this guy. It's a good idea. And I think that's actually, it's a great point about innovation, right? Where it's like, nobody bats a thousand on innovation, no. right? But they love to talk about failure. But when you look at their bios, all they talk about is their successes. And I think it tells you a lot about like where they actually view it. It's like, it's fun to talk about. It's like a humble brag. Like, yeah. I, oh yeah, yeah, I screwed this up, but don't worry. I made a million. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what a great screw up. Yeah. Well, it, a good friend of mine who's uh, done seven or eight uh, startups. And he's like, uh, people ask, how did I have two successful exits? And he's like, I started seven companies. Yeah. Right. You got to keep or, doing it until, you, until something happens. You get lucky at some point. Yeah. Luck. Yeah. It's, a, it's a critical component. Oh, for sure. And uh, Scott, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners a little bit more about what Technori is and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the short pitch for anyone listening, Technori has been around for almost a decade now, which is hard to believe. Um, it was originally launched as a, a local meetup. It was founders from companies like Spot Hero and Grubhub, Matt Maloney, Mark Lawrence, and, and in Chicago, started by Seth Kravitz who was an entrepreneur who had just moved here from Cincinnati. And he was like, there's no place to meet investors or fellow uh, geeks to like start companies together. And there just wasn't, there was no 1871 or anything like that at the time. So he starts Technori as a meetup. The meetup turns into a kind of self-help blog, which then he gets kind of a, a little bit of an idea to like chase after TechCrunch. And then that kind of fizzles. 
it ends up as a, in a monthly event at Chase Auditorium with 500 plus people in attendance, mostly VCs and uh, other, you know, wannabe entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call it at the time, that wasn't the thing, but they didn't use the word entrepreneurs, just like startup or starters, I think is what they called them. And anyway, over the next, you know, three or four years going from like 2014 to 17, it was the preeminent pitch place in Chicago. I mean, it was companies coming from all over the country to spend five minutes on stage in front of investors and fellow entrepreneurs and tell them who they are and try to raise some early capital. Um, we had a lot of success. I think during that period of time, there was about 300 or so million dollars invested in those companies. Now it's well past a billion. Uh, we've had multiple instances. Ballot Ready is one that comes to mind. Female founders from Chicago who are vastly needed during this crazy political season, who literally someone in the audience came up and invested a million bucks. So I'm like, these are real numbers, real things. It wasn't, you know, $10,000 pitch competition or whatever. Over time, I brought that to WGN as an opportunity to create a live show where instead of catering to only 500 people on a random Tuesday, should you have time to make it, uh, we could air it on Saturdays live on the radio. You could tune in and you could invest directly in companies. And we started uh, making all the companies who came on stage or on the show at that time, uh, they all had to be equity crowdfunding. And we had partnered with Republic, which I'm an investor in from the uh, 2016 early days of crowdfunding. Uh, we still are partners with Republic. Over the years, uh, we've we've sort of evolved it into a media company. We got away from the events, very fortunate given the COVID circumstances uh, that in 18, we kind of closed the door on the large public event. And, um, you know, after that, uh, we started honing in on the podcast and the podcast became kind of a national hit. We've got, you know, 12 million plus plays on the show over its history. And we now have something I'm really excited about, which is the call it Technology Pitch 2.0. Uh, it's on Instagram. All these companies that are crowdfunding via Republic and, and other platforms too, but predominantly Republic, uh, they send me their one minute pitch and I do a follow up like 10 minute Q&A with them on YouTube. You can follow it on Technory YouTube and then on the Technory and my personal Instagram, I will post a pitch review, which if you're familiar with Dave Portnoy and Barstool's pizza review, <laughs> it's basically the same thing. I drop F-bombs all the time. So I apologize if that's a thing for you. But I how do you how do you do, how do you do the uh, what is it one one bite one pizza one bite everybody knows the rule everybody knows the rule so, so it's like one question everybody knows the rules <laughs> so like you know in all the companies I've invested in in via equity crowdfunding predominantly I've made a bunch of investments for little money but like about eight that were in the thousands and I've had five of them already exit so I, I've I've gotten knack for what I what I'm looking for and so it comes down to uh, is, you know, can I summarize this in like seven words? Like, is the, is the idea simple enough that I can explain it in a rational way? Uh, is there a market that's actually like real? It could be a lot of people or it could be a lot of money against a little amount of people, but it's got to be real. Do I think the founder is legit? Like if I were to imagine somebody doing this, would it be you? And last and most importantly, will I get my money back? Because most of these companies uh, may or may not be able to make it, but they they may not be investable, period. And I think that's a huge thing that we'll probably talk about later in this this episode is like what is actually investable and what should you be leaving your cushy job to pursue? Um, and in the end of it, just like my good friend, I wish, Dave Portnoy, I rate it. I'll be like uh, Dante32, who's on the podcast. I got to rate this. I don't know. I'm going to go 8.4, boom. And then we throw it out there. Um, and it's it's not tied to the pitch quality. It's like, do I think that it's basically those four things I listed, where does it fall? Um, and for anyone who hears this, that has been on the show. No one gets a 10. No one even gets a nine. Like you'd have to be Uber to get a nine. So it's, it's fun. It's meant to be fun, but it's been really successful. We've had, uh, what are we on episode 11 
and we've had multiple couple hundred thousand dollar uh, rounds filled up on it. We've had a couple hit a million on equity crowdfunding, which is the max. So wow, it's been a lot of fun, and, and I think Technori lives on uh, in a digital world, and it, it's it's a gigantic network nationwide where founders and investors can just clip in and listen to somebody talk about their company before they invest in them. That's pretty amazing. It's amazing, yeah. you know, where it started and how it got to where you took it to. Um, I think you could get Dave Portnoy to, he, I think Chicago's a market that they want. So there, there uh, might yeah. be some synergy I would love to get him you. on. He would just beat me up and then we'd get into a fight about <laughs> stocks and he'd be like, you know, the stocks only go up and I'd be like, you're out of your mind and you're ruining this economy. But that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I really love is like when he goes up against hockey players and like he talks trash against these guys in the NHL and they're, He's like playing goalie on, oh like, my God. for like I, for I, hockey. He is it's the ridiculous. internet's best troll. And I, I love him for him. I love him for him. He's a $100 million man, thanks to Penn. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you bring up a lot of great points about uh, the investment in the dollars and, and things like that. What is some of, what's the biggest trend you're seeing right now uh, as we're going through this? And, and you mentioned from the scoring standpoint, I, I guess another concept that I, I'd like to talk about is you mentioned nobody gets a 10, nobody even gets a nine, you know, from your experience, when you've seen these things kind of move forward and from the investment dollars and moving forward and would Uber have gotten a nine when they were at that stage, right? Yeah, or is it, does question. it take some kind of evolution and, and some real cash? I think that's a good question. I'll give you this. I'll use Uber as an example. It's, it's a really good question. Um, sort of like Tesla too. Like, would you, that's so crazy. Would you, would you actually rate them? So it goes back to, and Uber is a little unique in the sense that Travis Kelnick uh, comes into Uber successful uh, as a college kid. He was an entrepreneur and that kind of thing. But like, he's not Elon Musk, who's a co-founder of PayPal. So Elon comes into Tesla already doing something that the world said, no way, I'm never going to spend money online, you know, just digitally. So he, he was a part of something that was transformational. On Travis's part, it's very similar to Evan Spiegel from Snap, uh, Snapchat. I, I don't know your leadership qualities and skills and ability to scale. What I would have said about Uber, and this is a good point when you bring in Lyft into the mix, there's a million different people who try to disrupt the taxi cab industry. And basically, I had the, uh, the founder of Curb, which is the same version as Uber, but for taxis on the show. And he said, it never dawned on us to chase after and go after the medallion. He never thought of that as a, as a realistic option. Like he would get crushed in the government uh, by trying to lobby against taking the medallion and competing with it. So he never even looked at it. And then Travis is like, no, 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 I'm putting all my money and time into legislation and lobbying to, to chase after the medallion, which is what, you know, essentially I keep saying that it's the, the, the paperwork essentially that taxi drivers have to have in order for them to be protected and ride taxi and do what they do. And so when he went after that, it was like, oh my God, you're, you're thinking of this in a different level. And I think anyone could have come up with a brand and figured out how to do it but no one would have been able to, to break the medallion the way he did. And that opens the door for Logan, uh, the CEO at the time, founder of Lyft, to jump in. So if I hear these two pitches, and I actually uh, heard Lyft, uh, Logan pitch on a Bloomberg show right about when Lyft had pitched, and I messaged him on Twitter, and he responded back because he wasn't a big deal then. And he kind of like told me the 10-cent version of it. And to this day, he's, he's on point with it, as is Travis is now gone, but Uber's on point with theirs, which was, we want to facilitate an army of people who can do random things. And once we have this 
uh, flywheel, we can drop new things in it. So you see Uber Logistics or Uber Freight, they call it Uber Works, Uber Uber Eats. Like all these things are built on this supply chain and logistics pattern that they built that eventually they will no longer hire people to drive. It'll be all automated and they'll do it in segments. Whereas Lyft, when he pitched, it was Lyft Media. And he's now bringing that to fruition. They've got many, many, many millions of dollars coming in in the form of advertising on their on the Lyft drivers and inside of car and on side of car and all this other stuff. Took two totally different approaches. And I, I think both of them are super unique. And I would have given them high grades because of the sophistication and the vision behind it. And in their in the cases of Travis and Logan, maybe less on the founder than say Tesla, which is Elon Musk, another company that while completely different from the other two is the same business. It's a logistics and supply chain of electric charging. They built a charging network and ultimately autonomous vehicles. So you can see that they'll launch it. I would envision a world where where Tra well, Travis Scott, where Uber and Lyft and those are actually partnering with uh, Tesla to provide the automated driving plus the electric network and all this other stuff. So that's the kind of stuff where you get in a conversation with somebody and they're 20 years old or 28, they're 32, and they can go all day long into the weeds. And you just know that if, if there was anyone, like this person is indignant about explaining themselves. So you just know that they're going to be able to to, to push things. They're going to have a force behind them that you just can't even, and then it comes down to, can they raise capital? So if like, if somebody starts pitching me and the idea is gigantic and, and, but like, think of how, comp, like all, how complicated all the things I just explained were, they're super simple. At the end of the day, you're just taking a, a guy or girl from point A to point B and figuring out how to do it more efficiently. And if you can bring all this craziness into one sentence, and then I can tell that you're a nut, you know, it looks good for you. So I don't know if I would have given them nines or tens, Tesla, I would have given that nine plus just because you've got a guy who's already done it at a ridiculously high level. So you know he's got the money and all that jazz. Have you changed the way you've evaluated these companies? Uh, yeah, I mean, hindsight, right? So uh, you you learn what, what you hear that doesn't work. And there's sort of things that I caught that I was like, ah, uh, that's a, a line I hear a lot. And I'm not really loving it. So maybe I just catch more of like the, the the trip ups, like the little signs that tell you this person's full of shit like that. I catch it. But I think in the end, and I've, I did this interview with uh, with Vic Pascucci when he was at Lightbank and he said it originally, I'm sure other people have said it, but it's like, it's people. And the, the human being that you're investing in has to have identified or human beings have to have identified an unfair advantage that they know how to build a business around that nobody else knows the next steps to. And then after that, it's integrity and work ethic and believability. And if they can sell it, then there's like just no reason to, to like, really, there's just no reason to uh, doubt them, you know, other than the obvious. So there's a, a slate of shows that came out on Netflix last year that I, I kind of see as the quintessential dark side of some of this founder mentality, like the, the, the Theranos story culture. Well, in like Theranos and then fire Island, yeah. right? Like where the guy in fire Island was just absolutely deluded himself. Right. Like yeah. you can see that it was as a straight scam. Right. And, but see, and this way, I don't know. This way I, I wonder on the magnitude scale of like, you know, a lot of founders, are they straight up scammers? Are they, are they deluding themselves? Can they really pull it off? You know, I, I just, I think there's a, there's a magnitude there of like, yeah, you're ambitious and hopeful, but you're not completely 
out of your mind. Right. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I don't know the the whole Theranos thing where it's like, you know, she gets, she gets labeled as a fraud, right? Where is it, is what she did really that different other than she missed the mark? Yeah. So I've, I've talked about this a bunch of times. I, um, you know, the, the carpetbagger crazy thing, you always, it's up to you if you smell it. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, some of these people are full of shit from the get go. And there's just, you, you just, you got to know it or you don't know it. And the more momentum they get and the more funny they get, the more legit they look. And so if the first couple of investors bite on a fraud, everybody else is in trouble because the shark just made its way into the pond. And now you've got trouble. And that it's just like, there's not a lot you can do other than just be like, I personally don't dig this. I think your point that the Theranos story is a story of a person who had a gigantic dream who believed that she could do it and that if there was enough time and enough money, she'd do it. And at certain points, the fake it till you make it, we've talked about this a number of times with Outcome Health here in Chicago. Like had he, you know, had Rishi and the team been able to make that work the way they were before everything went bad, you know, we're probably not talking about it this way. We're not, I mean, we're not feeling a little bit weird in our stomach as I say this right now, which I am, you know, it, I don't think most of them are bad or ill-willed. In fact, I would actually argue that most of them are trying to do something crazy and unbelievable. And that takes a crazy amount of belief in something. And what I've also have noticed is, and this is something that I try to tell other people, especially angel investors, retail investors on equity crowdfunding platforms, is usually the scammy ones are the small ones that no one will notice. They're not trying to make some billion dollar empire because they know that they'll get caught at some point, it will fall. They're trying to get you on like $10, $100, $1,000, $5,000, some old lady on, you know, repair, quick repair, whatever, steal your data, sell it. They're, the sliminess is, is obvious. And you can just tell like the amount of effort that they put into something that has such a low ceiling you just know that there's a hook. Like, where's, okay, where's the rub? You know what I mean? It's it's like a circus person, carny, <laughs> trying to sell you something. You know, so I just, I actually look for the big idea ones. I just, it's sort of like, it's a crazy idea. So you have to be a little bit uh, on the hook yourself as the investor if you buy it. I mean, you want to believe it, but, you know. Yeah, I, I wrestle with this myself. I've thought about it. Like, I think about great leaders. I think about, you know, you think about uh, from good to great, right? That humble leader who doesn't make a big show of himself and they created, and I know that historically speaking, uh, you know, the built to last, some of those have not lasted, right? I've always thought that for somebody to be a great leader, you had to have some self-doubt, right? There's a lot of hope. I would hope too, right? Not enough that it's crippling when things go wrong. Obviously, you've got to pick up your feet and keep moving. But I do think like people who have that ambition of like to grow a billion dollar business, their confidence level has to be just off the charts of like almost to the point of narcissistic, right? Because everybody's going to tell you you're an idiot and like you're lining yourself up to be, you know, even if you you did think you had a good plan and you were executing on it, you could still end up in the fraud column. Oh, 100%. And I, I, I like to go towards athletes in this just because I think it's an obvious, you can actually, unlike businesses, you can't get in the boardroom here. You can like literally see them on the court or whatever. And the Kobe and the Michael Jordan from The Last Dance, I think, stand out to me. And there's there's others that look like Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, and Steph Curry in the three-point shooting, uh, and Larry Bird to that effect. <laughs> when he when he didn't even take off his warm-ups? Yeah, he said he was taking <laughs> second place tonight. And then he crushed right, him when exactly. he didn't miss a shot. Um, you know, these are, these are guys who have no conscience. They believe that they have put in the countless hours required to master their craft. 
and they will put that craft up against your craft every single day of the week and twice on Sunday because they know they put the time in. So they do it. And then afterward, they analyze the shit out of it. And they're like, oh, my God, like, I missed this. I missed this. I stepped wrong here. The timing was wrong. Like, they're so obsessive about their mistakes. But it doesn't impact their confidence. They just take it as like, these are all the flaws I have. I've got to work on it. I've got to work on it. And you look at, like, Kobe Bryant Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, people, obviously, people look at Kobe a little differently now after his unfortunate death. But at the time, people didn't think he was a good leader. And Michael Jordan's the epitome of leader. And if you listen to anything you saw on Kobe and you listen to Last Dance, they're the same person. You've got a person who literally is going 100% all the time and says, I did it so you can do it. And if you don't want to do it, then get out of the room. And their full transparency and their screw-ups are the first ones to admit all the games that they've screwed up and where they worked on it. And they just say the same thing to you. And if you don't like it, then get out of the room. And I think the startup world is an interesting correlation because, and obviously all business, but startups in particular, because there's a nakedness to the founders. You're, they're kind of a charlatan uh, until they're not. And I, I think that if you put in all the time and you're humble about who you are and you realize that you're never going to achieve whatever crazy dream you have in your head, like you'll always come up short and you're incredibly self-reflective and you know how to take the time to listen to your team and try not to be a jerk unless it is the last recourse and explain to people like I work all day long in this. And this is, I'll give you this little aside here. This is a good example, working with uh, several startup companies myself and had team members who I've routinely said to them, like, we're not in a position for me to give you equity right now because it's worth nothing. The only thing it's worth right now is crippling me to negotiate terms later. Cause I got to figure out how to get rid of this person. <laughs> um, so I promise you, I'll take care of you. But when you ask me, do we get 5% or whatever? I ask you, are you going to be doing this 24 seven? Like I am, I don't have friends and hobbies. I'm on my phone doing this all day and all night. I'm, I'm out for 4th of July with my wife and her friends. I'm like, what, what the hell's wrong with you? We're watching a concert in a yard and uh, all social distancing. I might add, we're all social Very distancing. nice. Well played. Well yeah. Played. Mask and all, um, which is actually true. Uh, but I was just like looking over notes and things on my phone and slacking a couple of things back and forth to myself because that's just what was going on in my head. I was watching, like my, it never leaves. And so before you take equity from somebody when they're at this stage, you have to be committed like that. That's crazy committed. Like you don't, your friend is the business. Like that's what it is. And, you know, I, I think you got to take care of your team. Though. So like, is the equity at this stage in more important and more valuable in my pocket or in your pocket? It's in my pocket because it's not cash. It's just, it's leverage. And I think if you tell your team from the get-go, if you stick with me and you do the best you possibly can, and you're the right fit for this, I will make sure before I die, I will make sure that you're compensated well for it. But, you know, understand that the difference between an employee and a person who's literally their whole essence is in this company is that they ride or die. And, and I take the responsibility of paying my team back one way or another very seriously. So they get paid before I get paid. That's another you know part of the equation. So I think leadership is a it's not about talking. It's about just doing what you're supposed to do and being humble about it. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, I, I think of a lot of like military act, you know, analogies as well. Like before they go down range, is everybody good? Like if everything's good at home, then we can all go do this. But if, if one person's out of whack, we got to pool together to get that person out of whack. And then we go back to business. And that's, that's, that's how you do it. Well, and I think you touched on a great point, a, a mistake I've seen in my, my limited, nowhere near your level of experience, but my limited experience with founders and those situations where you're still, you know, 
I give you equity. You actually owe me money. Yeah. Uh, if I gave you equity, right? You yep. got to, you owe me 20 grand because we're in the whole bad. Yeah. Right. For sure. I think the biggest mistake I see founders make with that is they offer equity to people that one don't know what it means. Yeah. It doesn't actually, they don't value it. And it's not going to motivate the behavior. That is that assumption. Like you mentioned that ride or die of like, if I'm giving you equity, right? I expect your commitment to match mine. And I think that's the biggest mistake I've seen with founders is they don't communicate that before they give them equity and they will yeah. give equity. And then all of a sudden they're like, yo, this person's not showing up on Saturday. And it's like, did you talk about that beforehand? Because they might've said, no, thanks. Yeah. Right. I, well, I mean, hey, that's that's team building. I would say- how the found, and I've made these mistakes, by the way. This isn't my just like saying it like I knew it. I went through this myself. So I know for a fact that I didn't do the right things. I I, I made expectations. I didn't communicate well. Uh, I didn't even think of it well. And the first company was a disaster. I hired all of my favorite people and I fired all of my favorite people. Um, and we're not talking anymore. You know, most of us aren't even friends anymore. I had to fire a guy and kick him out of my house the same day. It wasn't a great day. And for him or you. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Well, it was a pretty good day for me afterward, but um, you know, I needed the break. Uh, but the reality was like it was my fault. Like he was lazy, but it was my fault. And so what I would say, and this goes back to the original stuff about picking a founder or picking a startup, you know, picking your initial team and giving out equity is essentially your very first exercise in hiring. And if you're gonna build a team to accomplish something that no one's done before, you better be sure of the team. And if you're not asking, like, here's what I need, what are your skill sets and how does it deliver? And then here's the kind of pace that I'm going to work at. Because I, I know that if, you know, like I talked to a guy about the new company I'm working on, we're, we're going to raise, we're raising a series A right now. And, you know, more than a million dollars of it's going to tech. And he's like, the guy I talked to on the tech side, it's like, you know, it would be about a 12 month project. And I was like, nah, it's going to be like a six month project. And he was like, that's twice as much. And I was like, well, then we got to raise more, I guess. Because if we don't get it done in that amount of time, we might as well not even do it because somebody else will be out by then and it's, it's done. And so if people on your team don't view that kind of urgency and don't realize like literally I view this as if we don't do this right now, we might as well just go find another thing. Then you got the wrong people and, you, and that's not that's on you. That's not on them. Well, I, I do think well, you know that critical team, right? Hiring your friends. I always go back to the, you know, when you go off to college and everybody's like, oh, don't be a roommate with your friend from high school because you'll never, that held true. Yep. And then uh, the hiring your friends uh, just means you're going to fire your friends. Yeah, right? it's terrible. Unless you don't like them, in which case then it's a great way to get out of it. It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to get out of a friendship. That's like a Larry David move. I hired him so I could fire You might want to hire your in-laws then. Oh, you hire all your in-laws, and then you totally. fire all of them. You never <laughs> no have to talk Christmas. to them again. You never invite over again. That's Fantastic. a Scott move. <laughs> Two birds, one stone. <laughs> oh my god! So, uh, so, one of the things I guess one of the things I, I see, and that's great. I love. I really think that critical element of leadership, and like, you know, who is the leader? Do they understand the role? You know, you, you talked about Elon Musk and like that whole uh, the mafia that he came from, yep. right? And like. That gives such credibility to, you know, he's at least made some mistakes before. He knows how to do investment. He understands the tempo. Uh, and so when you see people who are moving into that, right? So somebody who's maybe never done that before, you know, from your experience, you know, what is it somebody, you know, one of the, our listeners that may be sitting there with a good idea and thinking, you know, I'd like to, 
I'd like to take a, a shot at this. You know, everybody knows downturns are a great time to start new businesses, right? And especially now with there's still so much cash in this the marketplace. I'm I'm in Hogham, right? I feel terrible for the people who are impacted health wise, and I'm worried about my own parents and all that. Uh, but from a business only operator perspective, this is hog heaven. I'm an introvert. Uh, other than on my show in real life, I I like hang out in my little room. I don't do anything but work. Um, this has just been like a free pass to get three hours of my day from commuting back and look at <laughs> yeah. deals and get them on the cheap. <laughs> like it's just great. So what are you, what are some of the things you think people could do to get more involved? What's that first step? Yeah, I mean, so true, and this sounds hokey, but the first step is in is in your own head, you know. If you're a person, well, okay, so step back. If you're a single person, then go for it. Who gives a shit? You'll learn. Like, you'll figure it out. You'll go broke. You won't go broke. You'll be successful. It won't work. You'll hate it. You'll take a job again. Whatever. Go out and try it. You can't lose. Uh, I mean, the colleges are taking a gazillion dollars away from you anyway, so you might as well just do it. Um, <laughs> if you have a family, you've got to get your family right. Uh, I have way too many friends right now who are trying to take this leap, and their their spouses are like, what? Uh, we, we have a house, we have kids, we like, and they're like, oh, it'll be like a year or two of like tight. And, you know, I'm like, no, it'll be eight, five. Yeah. I mean, it's so like, and that was, that was one of the things I didn't listen to. I was two years into this, a year and a half into this, a guy from Northwestern, I went to grad school there and he called me and was like, oh, you know, you know, like six or seven more years, you'll have an idea of what you're doing. And by like eight to 10 years, you're going to be running. And I was like, you got to be out of your mind. Man. I'm a smart guy. I'll figure this out. I'm on year eight right now. This is the first time since I started this that I actually know how to make money make money. Like the first time I actually understood the mechanism of what I do and how I manipulate this my system to work. Everything else I thought I knew, I was wrong. It was all just smoke and mirrors. And I got lucky because I could sell occasionally like that. Though none of those things were scalable if I would have stayed with them. I would have screwed them up. So that understanding of like, do I have a family that's going to support this? And they understand that this is like, I want it that bad. Like I'm willing to risk everything to the point where I want it that bad. If you don't have that burn, don't do it. Also, if risk is a thing that you don't like, literally don't flinch. And I, I'm not like a fighter guy. So I'm not trying to suggest like be a tough guy and girls are the same thing. Um, if you're the kind of person where like aggression comes at you and you like are anti-aggression or anti-conflict, this isn't for you. Like it's just, I can just save it for you because it's a battle and everyone is trying, like the minute you go live, everyone's trying to eat your lunch. <laughs> right. Well, and you, I think you brought up Kobe and, and uh, you know, it's great metaphors because it's about compete. Oh yeah. Right? It's, this is a game. If you, right. that's actually, that, I'm glad you said it. This is the best way to sum this up to me. And my wife says this to me all the time. She thinks I'm nuts. All of these deals that I'm working on right now, it's just a game. To me, I don't care about the money, the units, it's extra zeros or not zero. I don't even care. I, I don't even spend it. I give it all to her anyway. I don't, whatever, go buy <laughs> whatever you want to do. And she works really hard as a teacher. So it's not like it's that kind of thing. I just, the money is insignificant. It's about the game. And if this is anything more than that to you, if it's emotional or it's like about the dollars, you won't be able to do it because you can't stay obsessed with that long enough. Well, and you brought up a great point with, with Jordan and like, the, the compete, the dollars, right? It's not about the dollars. It's the about action. the winning, right? And like the famous story, of, of most people in Chicago know the famous story that while while Jordan was golfing one time, it started raining. So he went into the caddy shack. I have sons that are caddies now. So I know how bizarre it would be to have Michael Jordan in a caddy shack at one of these golf courses. 
but he's playing these kids for playing pool against them for money. Yeah. Right. And so when he won, he took their money. Yeah. Right. And like people are like, oh, what a cheapskate. It's like, no, you're missing yeah. the point. The money was points. Right. Yeah. That was just it. He was. He, he, he doesn't he do anything. To, he unless wanted he you to compete. know he won. That's how you. That's know right. That's how you feel it. Take he's that competing. Money. He competes at everything. I guarantee you, he's timing himself on his way home every day, looking at his clock. Like I bet, I, I bet I can cut thirty seconds off of this. Uh, yeah, it's and, and Michael, if that. you're listening, give me a call. We can yeah, hang have out. you on the show. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Get you on the show. You know, like pretty relevant to America. Yeah, right now it couldn't be more relevant. So, <laughs> Sorry, Shelly. No, I was just curious, Scott, what are some of the, the uh, really hot startups in Chicago right now? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the the you know size we're talking startup. I mean, if you're looking at companies that I think are in the more well-funded area, you know, obviously Cameo is just crushing it. Yeah. And Steven, I have said this numerous times, so I'll say it again. He's an absolute genius. He launched, ironically, on stage at Technori in January 2017 with Songfinch, the company that I acquired a share of and now I'm CEO of. And I told him then he's a genius. And at the time, he was passing his deck around raising some money. And I knew he was going to be successful. I think he did too. He can just tell with certain people. But he uh, he was selling us an autograph, you know, modern-day autograph. And I know that he said that because he was trying to relate to people, but he knew it was a bigger thing. And he has driven a Mack truck through a gift industry that will change the world forever, the way we expect to communicate with celebrities and the way that we just enjoy each other as like entertainment and gifts and whatever. He has created a new industry and not just created it. He's like a billion dollar company soon to be. And that's not no joke. And it's like, and then he's done it from Chicago, which is crazy. Yeah. So uh, that one is, is no doubt a huge deal in the, in the Chicago land. Um, I like to hope that our company, Songfinches, we're just getting rolling, which is the same age, but uh, a little behind the curve of theirs, has the potential to be something really interesting in the space. I also know that, you know, ClearCover, Kyle Nakasuji is an insurance tech company here in Chicago, and Kyle's a genius and has done all the right things. And I, I can't wait to see what they build. It's just, he's an incredible founder. I talk about him a lot. Uh, Tavala in the food space, uh, David Rabby is created, I use it as a, I'm a customer of it for home and away. I love the the way that he's taken to the to the company and they're blowing up obviously with COVID, it's helping their business, but just a real smart guy and smart company. Farmers Fridge is similar. They're struggling a little bit right now because of uh, no one's in the workplace, but I think at some point, you know, he'll be back on track with that. And then there's companies like Reapley, which I, I look at these companies who have identified kind of the future of work, future of living. And there's something called um, the circle cycle uh, and essentially, it's basically, you know, this understanding that we reuse everything. We're going to have to because everyone can't have a cell phone and throw it in the dumpster and then have a new one in five minutes. And so uh, in order to be sustainable and more economical, we're already using this circle industry or economy for employees. We have freelancers and gig employees. They work for you. They work for somebody else. They do the same thing for five people. We're essentially circulating their skill set. And the same thing can be said with technology. You all have, you know, this computer, this, you know, whatever, this whole setup we're recording on. And once you're done or you move on to something more sophisticated, there's somebody who's underneath you that could probably benefit from having it. And that can be reused instead of throwing the garbage. And Reaply is doing that. Um, I just did a podcast with, with uh, Gary Cooper, who's the CEO. Super smart guy. He's been on TV a lot lately with the mayor, uh, not just because he's a, a black founder, but he's also 
you know, doing a lot of stuff for PPE and, and has sort of helped hospitals reuse and resurface ventilators and things. So that one I have an eye on is a huge growth opportunity. And then there's a bunch of other companies that have been good. I mean, Snapsheet and, and others are down right now because of the, the lack of people driving around. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of really interesting companies here right now, for sure. That's interesting. We've had quite a few uh, founders, CEOs uh, from like uh, Y-Charts. Yeah, Sean Brown. Uh, yeah, great guy. Yeah, we we blast. Uh, he's got an extensive vocabulary. And, uh, yes. you know, he, he really was very uh, impressed with my uh, extensive uh, vocabulary. That was like, I'd say about 15% of our, our whole conversation was trying to one-up each other on polysyllabic words, which uh, That's was a lot of fun for us. I'm very right? limited there. <laughs> it really wasn't that interesting, but you know, it was it was a great conversation. But that's really cool stuff. I the cameo thing kills me. Right? Yeah. I did not see that coming. A lot of people didn't. They they thought it was a gimmick. And I remember saying Steven said this once on a panel I was on with him, where he was like, you know, let's say we're we're only successful to the point where uh, people only try us once, but there's a billion people who try us. So that's a hundred billion dollars. You know, a lot of money. <laughs> I do fall in that category. I did one with, uh, I got one for my wife for her uh, anniversary. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but it's from uh, Beautiful Girls from the 80s. And, you know, there's a there's a scene that she loves. So I had him kind of do it and do happy birthday or whatever. But, you know, just even you bringing it up again, I know I have an employee who has an anniversary coming yeah, up. And I'm like, it's such an easy, and, and like, it's it's even more than that because for, for like you, you know, maybe it's a, a gift, but, for that person, it might be an entrance into continuing to do these funny things with their friends where they engage with celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, Steven makes the vast majority of his money on, on the sort of call it D-list influencers who are just known commodities to those who are on Instagram and TikTok. And to you and I, maybe it's, they're nobodies. Um, but it, it's a, it's changing the way that, I mean, to me, the future of social media really is that it's not sitting here posting garbage about politics. It's, it's like, Playing please. with our favorite people. Yeah, please. Yeah. Right? I could use a little less politics. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're kind of running out of time, but man, I think we could keep this going for at least <laughs> yeah. four or five more days. And uh, Scott, really, what a, a pleasure to have you on. on a, you got such a great perspective, great attitude, a lot of experience. Um, love to have you on again oh, maybe anytime. later this year. Anytime. Thank you so much. I Thanks really for appreciate having it. Me. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. And we also wanted to thank you, our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate everybody taking the time to join us and, and listen to, to Scott's stories and, and really understand, get a better understanding of where Chicago's at from, from, a, from an investment standpoint. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com backslash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.